All right, am I on? All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverwood. As already been said, uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, whether you're here or online, uh, my name is Aaron, teaching pastor, and it's my privilege to get to take us uh, on into the book of Mark, because we're making it up to uh, towards the end of, of Mark chapter 6. Well, three and a half years ago, uh, DraftKings, which is a fantasy sports betting group, uh, they asked Deshaun Watson to do some on-the-street interviews. Uh, if you're not familiar with who Deshaun Watson is, he is now a two-time Pro Bowl quarterback for the Houston Texans. But three and a half years ago, when DraftKings asked him to do this little interview, he was just a fresh college graduate. He was graduating from Clemson University, where he was a two-time Heisman Trophy finalist. He didn't end up winning it, but he was twice uh, one of the finalists. And he led Clemson Tigers to the national championship game, where they beat the Alabama Crimson Tide in an upset. Everyone thought Alabama was going to take it, and Clemson ended up winning it. And so he was considered one of the top draft picks for the 2017 NFL Draft. And so DraftKings thought it would be hilarious to send him out to interview people with the upcoming draft and ask them specifically about Deshaun Watson. Now, it was pretty funny because he's sitting there acting like a reporter and he starts, you know, putting the microphone in people's face and he's asking them, you know, who their team is and who they want them to draft. And some of them would say, oh, man, I hope we draft Deshaun Watson. I think he's amazing. He's great. And they would just go on and on and on. And then he'd turn to the camera and say, well, Reporting for DraftKings, this is Deshaun Watson. And you'd see the people, like, their jaws would just drop, and they would just be like, what? You know, and they went selfies with him, and they just thought it was the coolest moment. But the funnier ones were where the people dissed Deshaun Watson, not knowing that Deshaun Watson is standing right in front of them. In fact, there's a couple that he's interviewing right there. The guy starts saying, I I don't think Deshaun Watson's all that good. He just doesn't have the arm strength. I just don't think he's going to make it in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be able to handle NFL defenses. And then he turns and goes, and reporting for DraftKings, this is Deshaun Watson. And you can just see this couple melt like, oh, no, we just, and then so she tries to play it up and like, well, you'd probably be pretty good with like maybe the Giants. And anyway, it's really, really hilarious. But what happened was they thought they just knew this was just another reporter and had no idea that in front of them was a guy who was going to go on to become an NFL star. It was a case of mistaken identity. You've probably done the same. Uh, Maybe you were at the company Christmas party and you ended up in conversation with this person and then later you found out that that's actually the spouse of your boss. And then you replay the whole conversation in your head hoping you didn't say something bad about your boss. Or maybe you just had it happen last week. You know, in our day and age where so many people are wearing face masks, someone could have said hi to you as you're walking out of Walmart, and you have no idea who it was. I mean, they act like they know you, but you're just, you you act like you know them. Oh, hey, how you doing? And you walk inside going, I have no idea who that was. Anyone done it? Yeah, okay, yeah, we all have. Uh, I I remember my sophomore year of uh, college, my glasses had uh, broken, and this is the day and age before, you know, one-hour uh, repair and instantaneous fixes. And so I had to wait an entire day. And you got to understand, I've been blind as a bat since fourth grade, all right? So I'm, I'm squinting around, you know, and I finally have a seat and at, at, at uh, dinner, and I'm sitting there across from a friend, uh, one of my uh, kind of dorm mates, and a mutual friend walks up to us, but he begins talking to the guy across the table from me and, and just kind of ignores me. It gives me a couple of glances, but just doesn't pay me any attention. And I thought it was a little odd because, I mean, Mark's one of my friends too. So Mark starts turning and he starts walking away. And so I said, all right, we'll we'll see you later, Mark. And he recognized my voice. He didn't recognize me with no glasses. But suddenly he's like, Aaron, that's you? 
You know, he thought I was just like some stranger, you know, visiting, you know, the friend across the table from me. We've all made the mistake. Well, today we're going to see the disciples make this mistake with Jesus. Uh, They're they're going to see Jesus yet again do something miraculous, but it's going to surprise them in such a way that it reveals they don't really realize who he is. They think they do, but he's going to continue to surprise them. And today, I'm going to hope and pray that you don't make the same mistake that the disciples made. Because if you understand who Jesus truly is, it will make all the difference in your life, and it will help you through the most difficult times in your life. So if you brought a Bible, please open it up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you're a first-time guest with us and don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen so you'll be able to track along with us. But I encourage you, when you come back to Riverwood, bring a Bible. At Riverwood, we don't care if it's a digital Bible on your phone or if it's a paper copy. Just have one. And if you don't have one, download one to your phone or just ask us, and we will gladly give you a paper Bible. We've got several high-quality Bibles because we want people to have one, not just when they're here on Sundays, but to have one every day. So we'd love to just give one to you as a gift so you could use it on uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and every day. Um, I'm going to be reading from Mark 6, verses 45 through 52 today, and then we will pray. So join me, Mark 6, starting in verse 45. Well, immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would open this up to us so that we can see Jesus clearly, that we would know exactly who he is, that we would have a clear picture of who you are, our our God, so that it might then help us through even the most difficult of our own circumstances. So Father, would you open our ears and our hearts to what you need to and want to say to us. This is your time. Do in us what you see right and fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week's uh, passage is coming right on the heels of last week's passage. I guess, story. Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus, uh, having learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded uh, by Herod, uh, Jesus was in mourning, and his disciples returned from their trip. You remember, I think it was three weeks ago, we saw Jesus send his disciples out two by two. So they've all returned, and they're here to tell him about, you know, what what they experienced as they were going around doing ministry. Well, Jesus sees how busy everyone is, realizes they're tired. He's in mourning, and so they're going to go off to this desolate place. And so we saw last week, as they get to this place, there's a huge crowd. And the the crowd wants more time with Jesus. And so it says that Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd, and so he stopped and had compassion on them. And we saw that he showed compassion by meeting their spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Well, one of the ways he met their physical needs was to feed them. And we saw that whole miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus took just, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied them and ends up feeding. And Mark tells us that he fed 5,000 men, all right? So I don't think that even counts the women and the children that may have been there. So this could have been like 10,000 people, 15,000 people. I mean, a huge crowd, and Jesus feeds them with nothing but a little boy's lunch. But then we see here, as we come to verse 45, 
they've eaten their fill, they've collected the baskets, and then it's now evening. And so Jesus starts to send everyone home. Hey, thanks all for coming. Take off. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later. But then as he dismisses the crowd, rather than take the disciples up into the mountains to get to that desolate place where they all can rest, he does something really interesting. Suddenly he asks them to get in a boat and head off to, an, and it says there in verse 45, to head to Bethsaida. All right? so, so they're to get in the boat and they're to leave and he's going to go up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, what we notice is that the disciples are getting into the boat in the evening. I, I think it's around verse 46, 40, 47. It's evening time. So the sun's starting to set. So think of it like, you know, 7, 8 p.m., maybe as late as 9 p.m. We don't know what time of year this is taking place, but it's, it's evening time. But then we get there down to verse 48, and we see that it's the fourth watch of the night. That somehow Jesus from up on the mountain either can look down on the lake and see them. Maybe there's a full moon out and he sees that they're fighting against this wind. If you remember uh, several weeks ago, we saw in chapter 4 uh, a storm that, that popped up on the Sea of Galilee. And we talked about how the way the winds work there. And these storms were not uncommon. And so there's this wind and these guys are fighting against it. The fourth watch of the night would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So in other words, these guys began their boating at like, let's just say 8 p.m. And now it's like 4 a.m. I mean, these guys have been battling this wind for like six to nine hours. Can you imagine? They have got to be exhausted. It's the middle of the night. They're not getting any sleep. And I suspect that if they're like me, they'd probably start to grumble. They're grumbling against Jesus. Why does he get to go up in the mountain and rest and we have to be here in the boat? Like, he probably knew this was going to happen. Why are we doing this? What is going on? Why are we alone? Anyone ever felt like that? You just find yourself in a really difficult circumstance and nothing seems to be going right and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting and yet you still aren't getting the money to pay the bills. You still are facing the health crisis. The relationship get, isn't getting any better. It's just getting hard. Here's a, a video of a guy named Doug who faced this in his uh, job. So if you would just watch Doug's story. The, the construction business, I was, I was born into it. I was um, basically a third generation contractor and um, worked with my dad alongside him. And then ultimately we were too much alike and so I actually went on my own and within a matter of years um, outgrew him and um, ultimately bought him out and uh, had 80, 85 employees. I had a lot of really good guys that worked for me, and it didn't require my constant attention. I had a lot of flexibility, and that allowed me to be able to, uh, to get deeply involved in the church and just be there to do whatever, because I was just so hungry to serve. Everything that I was doing was working, and in about that same time, the real estate market also began to take a turn for the worse. Our net worth began to uh, began to just really drop. But I was convinced that we could ride it out. And then um, still at the end of it, we're upside down to the tune of about a million and a half and we ended up going bankrupt. During that time, I really wrestled with God. I resisted every step of the way. And it was, a, it was toward the beginning of that period of time when I began to, to read through the Bible cover to cover every year. So it didn't make sense to me that he was taking the business away from me because I had put him first and I would sneak out to the woods so nobody knew where I was 
and I would head out there no matter what the weather. And I would go out there and I would read God's word. I would see his promises. And rather than being encouraging, they would make me furious. I would challenge him to try to reconcile these promises that I'm reading in his word with my circumstances. Maybe you haven't lost a job, uh, a business due to bankruptcy, but chances are you've gone through something really hard where you find yourself just, God, where are you? Why, why have you left me alone? I, I think I'm doing everything right, and yet nothing seems to be going right. Why am I having to fight against these winds? So maybe you have felt alone. You feel like God's not with you. Maybe that's how the disciples felt as they're out in that boat. Why did Jesus leave us alone? The thing is, Jesus didn't leave them alone. We see Jesus begin to walk down the mountain, and he begins to walk on the water towards the disciples. We're going to talk about walking on the water uh, in, in a moment. But before we get there, I want you to notice what he does. Mark tells us there in verse uh, 40, uh, at the end of 48, it says that Jesus is walking on the sea and he meant to pass by them. Now to our modern ears, this sounds pretty cruel. Uh, it, it sounds like Jesus is trying to like pull a, pull a prank. You know, like he's going to pass by them. He's going to get to Bethsaida before them. So when they show up, he's going to just start laughing. Like, oh, you guys should have seen you fighting against the wind. Man, all you have to do is walk on the water like me. Oh, wait, you can't walk on the water because you're not God. Oh, that, was a good, that was a good one. It, it sounds like a jerk move. But I think to Mark's Jewish audience, they would have gasped when they saw this phrase. Because you see, in the Old Testament, there's a couple of times where God passed by. We, we see it in Ezekiel 34, I'm not Ezekiel, in um, uh, Exodus 34, where Moses is, is uh, talking with God, and he wants to see God, and God's like, no one can look at my face and live. And so God allows him to go into this place where God puts his hand over it, passes by, and when he takes his hand away, he allows Moses to see his backside. God passes by. Then we see a very similar uh, story happen in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah. God passes by, and there's like an earthquake, and there's rain, and there's wind, and then it says that God wasn't in any of that. He was in the quiet. God passed by. And so I think Mark is alluding to the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, by saying that Jesus intended to pass them by. But it isn't just the fact that he's going to pass by that points to his divinity. I think it's also the fact that he walks on water. Uh, Psalm uh, 77, 19 says this, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Now, the author here, Asaph, is writing about God and his great works, the mighty things that he has done. If, if you went one more verse down to verse 20, you'd see him start talking about Moses and Aaron. And so you would look at verse 19 and say, oh, well, clearly verse 19 is all about the exodus coming through uh, the, the Red Sea. God parts the waters and walk through. I, I think that's part of it. But I think he's also saying there that God can do anything that he wants. And he can make anything his path, even the waters. And now suddenly here in Mark 6, we see Jesus walking on the waters, making his path the great sea, and his footprints are unseen. I think Jesus is showing yet again that he is God. And Mark is wanting us, his readers, to catch on that Jesus is going to pass by like God. He can walk on the waters like God. But the disciples do not look out of the boat 
and go, guys, look, there's God. They look outside the boat and they go, guys, there's a ghost. Now, I, I do not believe in ghosts. But I think if I had been in the boat with those disciples in that moment, I might have changed my mind. I mean, I want you to think about it. It's three in the morning, completely dark. You're exhausted from fighting against these winds. And suddenly you see something passing by as the wind's whipping and his robes bustling behind him. It would probably look like a ghost, right? They they are freaked out. So what does Jesus do to calm them down? It's there in verse 50. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. It's interesting here. When he says, it is I, there's something else I think going on. And we kind of just talked about it unknowingly just during the Kids Creek lesson. Hey, kids, what is the series right now that Miss Bridget is doing in our Kids Creek lessons? I am. Well, in the Greek, when Jesus says, it is I, it could also be translated, I am. Now, you may think, well, if that's the case, why doesn't the English translation have, take heart, I am? Because it would sound weird, right? Us, us English readers would look at it and go, take heart, I am, I am what? Like, I, I am Jesus? Well, yes, that, that's part of it. But I think Jesus is also saying, I am the I am. I am here. I am God. I am with you. If you heard Bridget's uh, lesson there, but you're wondering, okay, but where does this phrase I am comes from? It it, it comes from Exodus chapter 3. It's where Moses has has left Egypt where he was kind of raised as a prince. He he killed an Egyptian soldier, and so he flees for his life and spends the next 40 years in the wilderness, working as a, as a shepherd. He, he's, he's met a family. He's, he's married one of their daughters. He, he's starting his own family. Life is fi- kind of fine. Life is settled, and he's safe. And suddenly, he sees a burning bush, except the bush is not actually burning up. He sees the flame, but the bush seems to be doing fine in the flame. He's curious, so he starts to approach it, and suddenly, he hears the voice of God. And God basically says, I'm sending you back to Egypt. And Moses begins a brilliant stall technique. Basically like, ah, I, I can't. No, like I, I stutter. And God's like, okay, I'll get your brother Aaron. He, he can talk for you. Oh, you know, well, I, I don't have anything with me. Well, what do you have? A staff, throw it down, turns into a stake. And so he's even trying to find like, well, you know, God, if I show up and they say, well, God sent me to free you from slavery, like they're gonna ask me, well, which God? So, I mean, like what name do I give them? And God says this, Exodus Chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I believe when Jesus is walking out on that water and he's saying, hey guys, take heart. It is I. He's actually saying, guys, take heart. I am. I am with you. I am for you. I am in control. I am God. I am. But what we see next is the disciples don't see it. They don't recognize Jesus as God because he's going to pass by. They don't recognize him as God because he's walking on the water. They don't even recognize him as God when he even declares, I am. Because look at verses 51 and 52. And Jesus got into the boat with them, 
and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. (laughs) Here's Jesus making it evident to them, and not just in this story. Think about all that we've already seen. Mark is making it so clear to us. Jesus is God. And yet he says that the disciples, their hearts were hardened. They were, it was like they were spiritually blind. They could not see Jesus for who he truly was. He's doing all of these amazing things. They think they understand who he is, but they're falling into a case of mistaken identity. I think we do this with God too often. We think we know who God is. God, some, some of us, we've been churchgoers most of our entire lives. Some of us, we, we're kind of new in our faith, and we're figuring this out, and we're, we're getting an idea of who God is. But when we have the wrong idea, the wrong identity of who God truly is, that's when we find ourselves starting to get fearful. We, we start getting angry. We can find ourselves out in our own emotional boat, muttering against God. Why is he doing this? Where is he at? I thought you could do, handle this, God. What is going on? This past week in the uh, Thriving in Babylon series that our growth groups uh, just started, uh, there was a real-life story of a couple who lost their son to a tragic shooting. Uh, Their son had always had a desire to serve the community, and so he'd become a police officer. And during a routine traffic stop, uh, his uh, his partner had made the stop, so he he was coming just to back up his partner, and a, a gang shooting broke out, and both officers ended up being killed. And so this couple was just mourning the loss of their son, and in that, they began to cry out to God. And and I want you to hear just a little portion of what the mom of the officer had to say. So watch this. All I remember is just um, feeling sick, and I didn't understand. I thought, what what about all those verses where it says, um, he will lift you up, Um, you know, and he's going to comfort those who mourn. So I was kind of yelling out to God. I was feeling like silence from God. Like this big thing happened and I've done everything right. Now where are you? Why are you not taking care of my pain? She basically had a mistaken identity of God. She, she saw God as like a, a really good, powerful human. That, that she was in this like transactional relationship with. Like, God, if, if I read my Bible, if I, if I pray enough, if I go to church, if I do all the right things, then you owe me. Like, we got this bargain going here. But that's not to see God for who he truly is. Who God truly is, is a God who is so passionately in love with you, who had his image in you, but that image was distorted through sin. And so God did everything needed to come to earth to die in your place so that your sin could be forgiven. So he owes you nothing because he's already given you everything. So when you sit there and think, well, God, I've been good. I've done this. I've done that. You owe me. Why are you letting me sit in this boat fighting against the wind? Why am I having to fight this wind politically, culturally, at work, at home, internally? I thought you would be there for me. And what you need to hear today is that Jesus is walking next to you. And he's saying, trust me. Do not be afraid. Take heart. Trust that I am with you. Trust that I am in control. Trust that I am aware of everything happening to you. 
Trust that I am God. Trust I am. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. That we would trust you as the great I am. God, you are the one who has always existed. You are the one who always will exist. You are so much greater than us. And so we just, right now, we just confess, God, that we so often mistake you for who you truly are. And we lower you. And we don't allow you to be big enough, to be powerful enough, to be loving enough, to be present enough. And so, God, I just pray that you would correct our eyesight. You would would change our, our minds. That you'd help us to see just how great and glorious you are. So that we can capture that that goodness And it would then give us confidence and peace and rest, even in our most difficult of moments. Lord, I pray for anyone that's listening to this, whether it's sitting here in person, they're they're joining us online, or they're listening to the podcast uh, at a different time. And maybe they're going through something really, really difficult right now. And they feel like they're fighting against the winds. Lord, they don't know why the relationship is falling apart. They don't know why you're not answering that prayer for, for a child. They don't understand why the bills continue to come. They don't know why they're not getting the jobs and the advancement. They they don't understand why these things continue in life and they're crying out to you and you don't seem to be coming through. And then they look in the scriptures and they see these stories of all these amazing things you did and yet they find themselves waiting and waiting and waiting, wondering if you're ever gonna do that for them. God, would you help us to look at the cross, to look at the empty tomb and realize you've already done the greatest thing in the entire world. You have already given us salvation in Christ. We don't really need anything else. Anything else is just merely a blessing. So God, help us to trust you, to trust that you are right here with us in the now, in the midst of the pain, that we are not fighting these winds alone, that you got us. Help us to trust you are God, to trust that you are in control, to trust that you are, I am. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.